when people really, really struggle with short game, when they get the chipping yips and the pitching yips and they're laying the sod and they're having contact issues, the low point of their swing is usually early. It's too far behind the ball. The Senior Golfer Advisor, dedicated to helping you, the senior golfer, drive it longer, play better, get healthier, and enjoy the game. I'm your host, Dean Davison. Let's get started. So short game is pretty darn important for senior golfers. Oftentimes, they just don't have the length to get to the par fours consistently. They um, don't have the strength necessarily to do that. But the short game is something that they can perfect and be wizards in up and downs. So what might be a couple of things you would advise or could share with the listeners today, the senior listeners, on improving that short game? And I'm talking anywhere from 30 yards in, chip shots, short pitches, that kind of thing. Well, this is an easy one. And if anyone were to call me on the phone that I've never seen before, let's say you were to call me, Dean, and be like, hey, you know what? I decided that I need a short game lesson. My short game is terrible. I'm dedicating my summer to getting this stuff right. Can you help me? That sounds like me, by the way. (laughs) I'll call you. Before even seeing you hit a shot, you know, I already know that the problem is going to be rooted in one of two areas. Number one, the golf club is very likely digging too much. Or number two, the club is hitting somewhere where the ball is not, mm-hmm. right? So when people really, really struggle with short game, when they get the chipping yips and the pitching yips and they're laying the sod and they're having contact issues, the low point of their swing is usually early. It's too far behind the ball. And the golf club is not meeting the grass in a manner where it can easily slide through the grass without getting stuck. Right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from some of the information that we've gotten over the years in how to hit short game shots. And if we can look at chipping, for example, what are the two things we're taught to do? Ball back, hands forward, Mm -hmm. right? That's the way I always hear. Why do you put the ball back? Well, if you put the ball back, it's easier to hit the ball first. Well, the thing is, is that the moment you put the ball back and then you get the hands forward, what you create is a condition where the angle of attack is too steep. It chops down too much, right? And then when the hands are forward and the shaft is leaning to a severe degree, the leading edge of the club, which is the digging edge, like the leading edge of a shovel, is pitching too much in the ground. So it's very easy to hit too much ground and then hit the ground in the wrong spot. Now, to describe why we would hit the ground early, well, if the ball's so far back, how do we hit the ground early? Well, we're also taught to kind of like press our weight forward too, right? And the thing is that when people press their weight forward, what they do is they kind of really push hard on their lead foot, their left foot if they're right-handed golfer. But while they're doing that, their upper body kind of like pitches back away from the target a little bit. So what happens is, is that your nose or where the buttons of your shirt would be, that really dictates in these shots where the bottom out of your swing arc is, is occurring, right? So I like to say where your nose goes, so goes the bottom of your swing. So mm. if you have your hands way forward, so the leading edge is digging because there's too much of a, a forward shaft lean, and your nose is behind the ball, well, then the low point's going to be behind the ball and the club's going to dig. And that's why you can say, gosh, I'm set up to hit this simple little shot and I keep on chunking it. Well, where does the thin shot come from? 
well, it comes from being sick of chunking it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So the, the thin shot is really the player's response to the fat shot. And when you have, you know, fat shots and thin shots, now you're standing over all of these little shots, which are supposed to be simple by design, and you're harboring doubt, right? And if there's one thing that's guaranteed to ruin any performance on or off a golf course, it's it's doubt. Yeah. But of course, now your doubt is being fed by this high degree of unpredictability. So the simplest thing that a golfer can do is just create a much more neutral setup. Instead of putting the ball way back, you know, I would recommend that they just put the ball right in the middle of their stance. Now, ball position overall, it's not as important as we make it out to be because the only thing that's important is that, you know, you're swinging in a manner where your low point is just a little bit on the target side of where the ball is. So if you put the ball in the center of your stance, and then from there, if you just lean your entire body, right? Imagine like the leaning tower of Pisa, you know, Mm -hmm. the whole thing is leaning, right? So lean your entire body from the top down towards the target so that your nose is located on the target side of the ball, then that's where your club is going to tend to brush the grass. So now you're going to get ball and turf contact. Relative to the digging of the club or lack thereof, we need to be able to take the head and the handle and get them more neutral so that we only have a very slight forward lean versus a severe forward lean. Mm -hmm. So the amount that your body from top to bottom is leaning to the target that's the same amount that the shaft should be leaning towards the target. So the head, the handle, the zipper on your pants, the buttons of your shirt, your nose, they should all be lined up a straight line. And then if you lean your body towards the target so that your nose is slightly ahead of the ball, then your entire body from top to bottom and the shaft of the golf club are going to be leaning incrementally forward. And that's going to give you, number one, the low point that you're looking for, along with a connection to the turf where the leading edge and trailing edge are meeting the grass a little bit more evenly, where you still have a little bit of bounce on the club. So that even if you were to catch the ground a little bit early, the club is inclined to slide through. It's not going to get stuck. And even when you have less than perfect form or contact, if you will, you still get a very playable shot. Yeah, manage the the slight miss in a, in a positive way. So that works, that same setup, that same ball position, that works for 30 yards in or just around the fringe, around the green. Same, no, no real difference there, except maybe just the length of the swing slightly. Yeah, exactly. You know, so if we're, uh, if we're hitting a chip shot, we have a pretty narrow stance. You know, a lot of golfers stand a little bit too wide. You know, so when you're chipping, the distance between your heels shouldn't be any wider than the width of your club head. Right? So a nice narrow stance. I like to take the lead foot and rotate it towards the target a little bit so flare that lead toe out a little bit that helps with balance and then realize that even though you're making a small swing you know we need to create a little pivot or turner of our body towards the target you know so if we have just a little gentle turn or rotation of the lower body and upper body towards the flag that also helps the low point of the swing connect with the turf a little bit more forward so when golfers are struggling on these shots you know, they got the ball too far back because they've been told to put it back. You know, they've got their nose behind the ball instead of ahead of the ball. They've got the hands too far forward, right? And then their body is too quiet or passive. It's not creating a natural rotation. So if you can narrow your heels, get the ball in the center, nose ahead of the ball, neutralize that shaft lean, brush the grass with a little turn towards the flag, 
you should be good to go. And as you go farther away, stance would get just a little bit wider, but still keep the ball in the center of your stance and just allow the, the swing size to, to grow a little bit, allow your body motion to grow a little bit because you need more energy to propel the ball a, a slightly greater distance. Wow. That's golden. For those that are a little more visual, do you have a, a YouTube video or potentially a video on your website that might capture most of those points that somebody could see immediately? Well, yeah. So if you go to um, YouTube, if you look up Make the Turn Golf, that's my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And I actually have quite a few tips on there that are uh, broken down by, by category. Uh, you should be able to find some great short game tips there. Also, I do a lot of posting to Instagram these days. If you are at MTT Golf, so make the turn M as in Mike, T as in Tango, T as in Tango Golf, you can go to my Instagram channel. And uh, more times than not, you'll see a, a daily tip on how to play golf. You might see a couple of pictures of my dog in the woods, too. So. <laughs> I've seen a few of those. <laughs> so so, so don't, don't mind those a little bit. One of the things I've been doing, which I think has been really helpful, and you know, I, I videotape all my lessons for my clients. I also uh, have myself mic'd up, you know, so basically if I'm whispering to someone about what they need to work on and the camera's, you know, 10 yards away, we're still getting that volume. And my clients have been really great with, you know, allowing me to share little snippets, you know, moments of learning and discovery that we have in our, nice. in our lessons. Nice. And we post those on Instagram. So if, if someone hasn't taken golf lessons before, they're thinking about taking golf lessons, or if they just want to see, you know, less of a tip that's sort of, you know, presented, you know, to them and more of like, you know, what would it be like to watch this guy coach and to see him interact with people and to see things happen organically related to some common areas of challenge that maybe all golfers might, might be facing. Then you can go to, go to that Instagram page and, and watch these little clips that are anywhere from 60 seconds to sometimes five, six minutes long. I think I posted maybe three of them yesterday just on, on bunker play alone Beautiful, because we just really had some really cool moments with a student that, flew in from Idaho and spent a couple of days with me and he's a super cool dude. And we talked about contact and distance control and all these things. And I think, um, if you watch that, you'll say, Ooh, these shots are easier than I'm making them out to be. And it's really just, you know, tilting the scales in the favor of success. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a golf performance coach named, uh, Dr. Rick Jensen, and he deals a lot with psychology. He always talks about this idea of choking and a lot of golfers, they say, boy, you know, I, I, you know, I missed that putt. I choked, right? You know, unless you're playing for golf for money on TV, he'll say, you're not good enough to choke, <laughs> right? right? You're not good enough to choke, right? So, so forget the choking. You're not choking. You're not choking. But what happens is that um, if you look at, you know, a bicycle chain, a bicycle chain has links, right? right? And if we have a, a weak link in the chain and then we put pressure against the chain, then that chain can possibly snap or break. So basically, you're not choking. It just means that you have a, a weak link in your technique. And when you apply pressure where a shot means something to you, that's the time where that weak link is going to present itself in a way where your performance suffers from it right yeah. so what we're always trying to do is we're trying to you know eliminate weak links associated with how we're standing how we're moving how much bounce we're using or not so that when you're less than perfect in your execution you still get a shot that's favorable for scoring 
and and that's the whole key to playing great golf you know reasonable movements hit reasonable shots reasonable shots shoot reasonable scores mm. when you're working with a coach or when you're evaluating your technique you know look at yourself honestly and say what here is out of reason and what would i have to do to adjust it more within reason you know i grew up playing high school golf with jim furick did you wow jim furick you know, has got an unusual looking swing. One of the most unusual. But his movements for him are well within the confines of reason. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a future Hall of Famer, right? right. So uh, you don't have to have the proverbial perfect looking backswing, you know, or the swing that everyone talks about and says, oh, I want to swing like him or I want to swing like her. But if you're hitting unreasonable shots, it just means something is far enough out of reason where it's not playable wow. and it's not suitable for scoring. So think about what you'd have to do to adjust things more within reason. Forget about aesthetics. It's not about creating a pretty swing. It's about creating a swing that's functional, that's predictable and repeatable to some degree, you know, in line with the fact that we're dealing with a game that's highly inconsistent by, by nature. Yeah, boy, that's really profound and very, very helpful, packed with wisdom. And what I like about it is you're giving the listener, our senior golfer, some ideas where they can experiment and start to find that sort of natural motion for them or what that reasonable motion is for them. And I think that's so, so powerful. So that kind of leads me to uh, an area that I wanted to explore a little bit from a mental toughness standpoint is how should we practice that could be game changing, not just for the round that we're going to have that day, but more importantly, as we develop some skill sets and some golf skills that perhaps right now we don't think are very good. Well, you have to look at the practice area for what it's designed for and what it is. It's not a place to be perfect. It's a place for mindful experimentation, right? It's a place for playful curiosity. It's a place for creative problem solving. So when people come out to my lesson tee, I say, hey, guys, you know, this isn't the lesson tee. This is the lab like a science lab hmm. and a lab is a place for mindful experimentation. So we're going to evaluate what's happening now. We're going to create a hypothesis or a game plan that's designed to shift your behavior, to shift your ball flight, to give the results that you're looking for based on my experience as a coach. And then we're going to have some experiments. Now experimenting isn't, isn't guessing, right? Experimenting is saying, okay, here's some information that I'm going to share with you based on my years and years and years of helping people with these basic movement patterns. And we're going to see how you respond to the information. And as we go, we're going to have an action followed by an outcome. And then based on the outcome, we can create another mindful adjustment. You know, so you know, I can describe the same, the same thing in a hundred different ways. What I share with you might not connect with you in the same way that it connected with another person. So we're not like grasping at straws. We're not just saying, hey, let's try this. Let's try that. You know, we say, well, let's think of it this way. Let's stretch our imagination a little bit. Let's exaggerate a little bit more. You know, let's step out of our comfort zone so that we can actually change and, and create a shift in, in behavior. So when you're thinking about a scientific experiment, how many experiments have to melt or fizzle or explode? Before the scientist goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we are on, that is, we are moving in the right direction. And they celebrate, they get excited about 
the smallest degree of evidence that they're moving in the direction they want to go. So when, when someone comes out for a golf lesson, this is something that's important for people to realize is that the only way that you can hit a reasonable golf shot that's suitable for scoring. And when I say suitable for scoring a shot that lands within the field of play, you know, not out of bounds, doesn't roll along the ground, you know, things like that, right. Is to either have zero mistakes in your swing or an even number of mistakes in your swing. So, for example, let's say you're swinging the club on a steep angle of attack. Well, the word steep, it just means down. If you're a skier and you are looking down a steep run, it just means it goes down a lot, right? right. So if you're swinging the club on a steep angle of attack, you're swinging down possibly too much and the club's going to crash the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one mistake, right? I'm just going to sort of water this down for the audience. Well, if you have one influence saying hit the ground too much, then something else in your movement pattern has to say, let's hit the ground not enough. And that might be standing up, might be shortening your arms, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever, right? So when you have one thing saying go down too much and one thing saying go up too much, you know, when you get it just right, you can hit a beautiful golf shot. Well, let's say that you're sick and tired of taking these deep divots, whack, whack, whack. You know, it's like your your superintendent's going to start adding a grass tax to your monthly dues <laughs> at, the, at the club, right? Yeah. Well, I as the coach, you know, I hop in there and I might, you know, flatten your swing plane a little bit, you know, shallow out the swing shape, right? So what I've done is I've subtracted one. I've taken two mistakes, an even number. And I've immediately created an odd number. So now your swing plane, that looks beautiful. You know, the club's swinging over your shoulder. It's coming down in the slot, if you will. And you walk up to your next shot and all of a sudden you whiff it. And then you top it. Then you top another one. Then you top another one, right? And all mm. of a sudden as the golfer, if you don't understand the process, you go, oh my gosh, you know, I was hitting some decent shots before. I was only caving in the ground half the time, but now I'm topping, I'm getting worse. You're not getting worse. Topping the ball in that moment is evidence that you're no longer steep. Yeah. So now what we have to be able to do is we have to subtract one more, which means, hey, by the way, standing up, you know, like you normally do to avoid crashing the ground, that's no longer necessary because the club isn't crashing the ground anymore. So on this next one, let's keep our chest down. Let's let those arms extend a little bit. And all of a sudden, whack. Mm-hmm. center of the face, mm. shallow divot, boom, away you go. If a golfer doesn't understand that process, and I share this process, by the way, when people come out to the lesson team, because it's critical to making sure that the student is on board and understanding what is happening. So, you know, if you think about a steep swing plane, there's a couple of different characteristics associated with a, a steep swing. Number one, you hit too much ground. Right. Number two, you tend to hit the ball towards the toe. Mm-hmm. And then number three, the club face tends to open. So people that swing steep generally tend to be people that slice the golf ball, right? right. So if you think about it, if you're hitting too much ground, well, now you got to stand up, right? So that's two mistakes, right? If you're hitting towards the toe, well, people get sick and tired of doing that. So they tend to scooch up and stand really close to the ball. So now we got four mistakes. Right? <laughs> and and a, a steep swing tends to 
open the face. So sometimes these golfers will adopt ridiculously strong grips to try and counteract the fact that the face naturally yeah. wants to open. So that's two, four, six things, right? Yeah. Well, the moment I flatten the golf swing to make it more shallow, well, now the face no longer wants to open. So now this strong grip is not compatible. So they might hit a shot that goes screaming left into the trees. Now they're standing too close to it because the ball no longer wants to hit off the toe. So now they might hit a couple off the hosel. And as we described before, now that we've flattened the swing, we don't have to stand up anymore. So now we might top it. So in the first five minutes, if they top one, if they shank one and hit one of the trees and you don't share with them that this is part of the process, a very positive part of the process, and they're only two more small adjustments away from hitting the greatest shots of their life that they've been dreaming about coming to this golf lesson to begin with, you're going to lose the player because they're going to think they're getting worse when in actuality they are systematically shifting their behavior to a much, much higher level of performance. Well, that sounds great if you're working with a skilled golf coach that can kind of point these things out to you. I have seen it many times, and myself included, where you'll start making these experimentations, these changes, these adjustments, and that'll produce you know, an opposite bad shot. And pretty soon you feel like, whoa, I'm overwhelmed, I'm confused, I don't know what to do. Is there a way, without the hand of a coach right there with us, that we can stop the madness and kind of get back to what we know we can do and uh, perhaps still experiment in a way that doesn't freak us out. Well, the first thing I'll say, and this is not my attempt to fill my lesson book or anything like that. Right. <laughs> I'm hearing that. You know, coaching, it just creates the least line of resistance towards getting the result that you're looking for, right. right? And what you're paying someone for is 10, 20, 30 years of experience where they can pinpoint in seconds, this is what you need to do and why so that the time that you spend, it actually gets you somewhere. And because I am a coach and I understand the value of coaching and the relationship you have with the coach, I get coached in everything because my whole mindset towards playing guitar or snowboarding or whatever is, why would I not want to know how to do this? Why would I not want the exact correct information for me? You know, why would I want to hunt and peck around YouTube and read books and try and miraculously find the one thing that's going to make a difference for me when I can just create an investment in myself? And that's the big thing that's important, right? Mm -hmm. When you pay a coach and you go, boy, you know, this is more than I thought I was going to have to spend, you're not paying the coach. The check that you're writing is a check that you're writing for yourself. You're making an investment in yourself to try and get the result that's going to make your life more exciting. So you have to look at it that way. And that's why I always seek out coaching in everything that I do, because I understand that a coach has the ability to take you to places that are just sometimes too difficult to go on your own, because they're going to make you think. They're going to stretch your imagination. They're going to reveal moments of possibility. They're going to help you understand the process associated with, with achievement in a way that makes going out to practice not only fun, but also make it pay off you know, in big ways, right? So one thing that I will say to your listeners relative to coaching is that whenever you take a golf lesson, you have to see something in that lesson that is absolutely awesome and exciting to you relative to the contact that you feel 
in the ball flight that you get. You have to see and feel something that's dramatically different in a positive way from what you walked in the door with. Now, just because you demonstrate a skill in that moment with the coach's guidance does not mean that you have ownership over that skill. Ownership is a product of patience, Mm -hmm. will, discipline, finding joy within the struggle of becoming something different and better than, than what you are. If you take a golf lesson and you don't see any improvements and the coach pats you on the back and says, hey, don't worry, Dean, you'll get it. You won't because the information is either not correct or the coach is not communicating effectively or the coach is not communicating in a way where you understand or are willing to make the adjustment that's necessary. Right. So you absolutely have to see something exciting and different. Now, within that, if we go back to what can a player do on their own? Well, you know, if you think back in the day when. Sam Snead and the guys are out there, you know, doing their thing. Right. There weren't coaches just following these guys around. I mean, there weren't, you know, people like me with, you know, technology on the ground, little orange boxes that tell you everything that's going on with the golf swing, where the ball is going. Right. So really those guys understood that for them, the secret was in the dirt. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what is, what does that mean exactly? Well, what that means is the best way to balance out, whatever ball flight you have is to embrace and pursue the exact opposite. So Hmm. back in the day, if Sam Snead would hook a ball into the trees, right out of bounds during a tournament, he would just go to the range and try and hit a hundred slices until the ball was no longer going left. And then he would say, okay, well, I don't want to slice in that much. So whatever I'm feeling, let's just go ahead and tone that down a little bit. And boom, there's my little fade back or there's my little drawback. The reason why people keep seeing the same shot or getting the same result is because they keep making the same swing, even if they think that they're not. So when you take a golf lesson with a coach, the way that I make you feel, the degree that I exaggerate certain concepts, ideas, movements can feel pretty drastic and radical. But when you look at what the camera sees and then when you see the result relative to the ball flight, you go, oh my gosh, I mean, I felt like I was swinging so far into out, but I'm actually just swinging a neutral swing path down the target line. Or I felt like that club face was so close. I felt like I was going to hit it you know, into the parking lot, but, but that was a nice little draw. So yeah, there's only a couple of things that are influencing ball flight. You've got the direction the club is swinging. We call that the swing path. And the path can only go straight, right, or left. Mm -hmm. And we have the club face orientation to the target, and that can look straight, right, or left. If we're talking about curvature, curvature is just the relationship of the face to the path. So if the face is closed to the path, so if we're talking in right-handed golfer terms, the face would be left of the path, the ball will curve to the left. If the face is open to the path, which would be to the right of the path for a right-handed golfer, the ball will curve to the right. If the face and the path are the same, the ball doesn't curve at all. If the face and the path are different, that's when the curve shows up. Right. If they're a little different, it curves a little. If they're a lot different, it curves a lot. <laughs> right. So you need to understand some basics of ball flight. And then based on what your golf ball is doing, boy, my ball is slicing a lot. Well, the face has to be open to the path. So either the face needs to close more or the path needs to be a little bit more 
to the right so that the face can be close to the path. But when you look at the range as the lab or a place to experiment, look at your grip, right? Is your grip, you know, neutral, weak, or strong? What would the ball do if you adjusted your grip dramatically in a manner that would close the face a lot more relative to the ball flight that you're hitting? Hit a few and see what you get, right? Notice the tension in your arms. You know, do you have a, a soft or controlled hold? Are you holding it too loose where there's no security or control for the club? Or are you just squeezing it too tight like most people are? What would it feel like to experience the exact opposite of what you currently have going on? You know, if you're taking a lot of ground, you know, what would it feel like to make some swings where, you know, you're just grazing the top of the grass, barely yeah. touching it? I mean, so you have to, you know, create some experiments. They have to be mindful. A coach can help you make better decisions for what to try or what not to try. But at the end of the day, every golf lesson I give follows this formula. Here's the ball flight. This is what the club is doing to create that impact in ball flight. This is what the body is doing, hands, arms, torso, to make the club behave in this manner. Mm-hmm. What would the exact opposite have to look like? And let's do that. So as we pursue the opposite, what we very often get is that neutral or that middle ground. Yeah. But golf is a game of opposites. You know, there's a cool game called trapping. We use it with junior golfers all the time, right? Trapping? And trap trapping, yeah. And it's an exercise in in self-coaching, you know, and, it, and it's based off of this premise. So, so I've got a number in my head right now, yeah, Dean, and I want you to try and, and guess my number. So go ahead and try and guess it. Okay. Seven. Seven. Too low. I'm too low? Too low. Okay. 700. Too high. 70. Too low. 250. Too high. Mm, 200. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's, that's traffic. That's traffic. All right. So kind of, you're kind of swinging wildly at first and then you're kind of moving more towards the middle. So how long did it take you to find my number? I don't know. Six, seven seconds. Yeah. About that. Right. So the other day I was sharing this concept with a golfer and I said, um, we're going to play a little game. The game's called trapping. I got a number and I want you to try and try and pick my number. And he goes, okay, three. And I said, too low. Four. I said, too low. Six. Too low. Eleven. And I said, all right, time out. I said, Bob, my number's 10 million. <laughs> I said, how long is it going to take us to get to that number? And he was just like, uh, a long time. A long time. And that's what happens to people when they are working on a golf game. Hmm. They keep on making swings that are either the same or too similar to hmm. the swing they've been making. And that's why their ball flight never changes. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we are just talking about the direction of our golf shots, let's say your ball is always starting to the right and staying to the right. So if your ball is always missing to the right, the best thing you can do is set up, aim at your target and do whatever it takes to hit the exact opposite shot to the left. Right. Yeah. And once you can do that, you've now established extremes. You know what it feels like to hit it right. You know what it feels like to hit it left? Well, guess what? Your perfect swing is somewhere between those two. Go find it. And you can very, very quickly get the feel that you need to actually get the difference that you're looking for. I had a kid out the other day, and he was hitting shots to the right. Block. He was dead blocks to the right. High right, high right, high right. I go, I go you play baseball? 
And he said, yeah, I go, well, I want you to go ahead and I want you to hit a low line drive between shortstop and third baseman. Yep. He goes, well, he goes, what? I go, just hit it as low as you can in, in the gap. I go, but don't change your backswing. Your backswing is great. He goes, well, how would I do that? I go, I don't know. Just look over there and hit it there. And he hit this little low screamer. And I go, perfect. We got high right and low left. Right now, let's go ahead and hit it right over the pitcher's head. He just threw you a pitch, and you're going to hit a line drive straight back over his head. And the next shot, boom, with the, tra- the trajectory shot he's looking for, straight down the middle. He goes, I got to feel like that. I go, you got to feel like that. Wow. Put it on film. He goes, wow. And that felt so weird, but it looks correct. I go, well, that's just what you have to feel like to create the swing shape that's going to hit a straight shot. That's how fast you can fix these things if you're willing to stretch your imagination right. and you're willing to actually do something different. So if you keep on seeing the same shot, it's because you keep making the same swing, even if you think you're not. Well, thank you so much for sharing that aspect of experimentation and giving so many examples on how you might do that so that you can become more mindful and more empowered and take more ownership in how you practice. At the same time, we all know that in the hands of a skilled professional, we can sometimes and oftentimes make that process a lot faster. So the combination is perfect. But there are seniors out there that sometimes want to figure it out themselves. So thank you so much for sharing that. That was golden. So Jeff, if somebody wants to work with you remotely, how can they do that? One of the things we just started doing, it's not on the website, but we are doing uh, online lessons now. We've got Mm. a great app called coach now that we share with our students who are working uh, remotely with us and all you have to do is download the app and then uh, send us a video of your swing from uh, the face on view and down the target line view along with some notes on you know what you like to see differently with your contact and ball flight a little bit about your experience in the game and then within uh, five to seven days we uh, send a, a video lesson plan back to you so i just mic myself up i get in front of the camera and i say this is what i see this is what's happening now. Here's how I believe it should be different. And here's the game plan for doing so. So at least with that, you know, people that either can't visit us or less inclined to come out and really get into a full immersion program, they've got a, a cost-effective way to make sure that the time they spend on the on the range or in the lab, if you will, is a little bit better organized and they're working on things that are um, truly unique to them and in line with uh, their desired results. So you're not, not chasing their tail so much, so to speak. And uh, if anyone has the desire to do any of the online coaching, all they have to do is just uh, send us an email through the website on our contact page and just say, hey, I heard you on the program and uh, like some more information on online coaching and I'd be happy to send over uh, the rates and how it works. Awesome. And it's up to them. If you want to learn more about how to work with Jeff Ritter outside of strictly the online lessons, I'd recommend you go back and listen to episode 011, also featuring Jeff Ritter. In that episode, we go deep into the mental toughness side of the game, as well as some core strategy. And in the back of that episode, I asked Jeff the question about how they can, how you as a senior golfer can find more information about Jeff, and he lists off quite a few things in that. And you can also listen to that, of course, on the SeniorGolferAdvisor.com. You can listen to it on the podcast episode page or the homepage. And of course, it's available on a number of directories, including Apple Podcasts and a number of others. So I'd recommend going back and listening to that episode. It's packed with terrific information, very different than episode 12. Now, one other thing that you absolutely don't want to miss. This is a free and special offer to listeners of the Senior Golfer Advisor podcast podcast. 
coming to you from Jeff Ritter, compliments of Jeff Ritter. And what it is, it, it covers 22 short audio vignettes. They typically take two, four, maybe up to six minutes long. They cover uh, 22 different topics, all related to mental toughness, uh, mental toughness concepts, ideas, toolkits, things you can do immediately playing golf that'll help your golf game immensely, as well as help you in life in general. So you're getting a kind of a two for bonus there. So I'd highly recommend that. The way you get access to that is just go to the Senior Golfer Advisor dot com whether it be on your on your uh, laptop or your smartphone or smart device from there go to the podcast episodes tab and look for either episode 011 on Jeff Ritter or 012 Jeff Ritter and uh, be sure and click on the bold red read more and that'll take you to a page that if you're not familiar with it it's packed with show notes for each episode a little bit of background about Jeff, helpful links on some things that are mentioned in the podcast that can be useful for you. And of course, what we'll have in there is this button that you can just click and that will take you to a section where you just provide some information, your background, contact information. And I will send you a personal link to these episodes and they're absolutely free. And again, what I'd recommend that uh, you do is download these from your phone or tablet and just use them while you're, while you're mobile. You can plug that into your car and listen to them while you're driving. You can take it to the gym while you're working out. Uh, if you're just walking, taking a walk with your spouse or your dog or your pet or your kids, uh, lots of ways that you can make it very accessible, not just listening to these audio episodes, but listening to the podcast in general. I know I've got a lot of questions from seniors from time to time. They're not even quite sure how the best way to listen to a podcast is. So try those ideas. Good luck. And I know you'll get a lot out of listening to those audio vignettes from Jeff Ritter. Thank you, Jeff, for your generosity in providing that special offer. And finally, last week, episode 011, you might recall that we introduced a new feature to the Senior Golfer Advisor podcast. We're calling it the Listener Spotlight, and here is where we take an opportunity to talk about one of the listeners, some of the things about their background, what they're working on, and ultimately, we're wanting to share these ideas so that we all can learn from it, we all can get better, and we start to build a little bit of a community of sharing. So this week's spotlight is Ed. Ed lives in Seattle, Washington. He's a personal friend of mine. We play golf from time to time. He's a very good golfer. His USGA index is 6.5. He's uh, 63 years old. He's in the mortgage banking business, which actually is a, a very good industry, complements golf quite well, and has, has uh, been a big part of uh, Ed's life for many years. Ed, like I said, is a good golfer. He's got a swing speed at 63 years old of 101 miles an hour as measured on TrackMan, very accurate way to, to get uh, swing speed. And he bombs the ball out there, typically carries it about 240 in the air, and he'll get a rollout of roughly 255, 260 when he's really hitting it well. He's on the uh, probably the high end of the scale of performance at his age. He likes to do a lot of volunteer work. Uh, he works for the first tee, does some work a couple days a week, just for an hour each day, and uh, gets a lot out of that. Now, what he's working on, Ed is, he's a big guy. He's trying to uh, lose a little weight. 
uh, and uh, gain or certainly maintain some muscle, what this is going to do is it's going to help him prevent some injuries. He has constant lower back issues. He's had some issues with his shoulder. His feet bother him a little bit if he's walking too much. So he wants to play more golf. And what he's done in October, he's made a, a firm commitment to his health and his fitness. What he's doing, uh, he spends about an hour five times a week. That's uh, when he's doing it uh, as best as he can, not having a cold, which he did a week ago, and it kind of set him back a bit. But uh, he spends roughly 30 minutes uh, each one of these uh, exercise days on cardio, primarily working uh, with machines, bike machines, elliptical machines, that sort of thing. He spends about 20 minutes doing strengthening work for upper body, lower body, does dumbbells, uh, a lot of machine work, and that's ultimately trying to build some muscle, which he knows that's going to raise his metabolic rate, which will ultimately burn more fat. So uh, he's been sticking with this quite well for the month of October. He's going to reevaluate at the end of the month and see where he goes from there. The other thing he mentioned is he uses a foam roller. If you're not familiar with this, they typically are like a, a big cylinder. They roughly measure about 36 inches in, in width, or excuse me, length. The diameter is roughly five to six inches. You can get them at almost any sporting goods store. They are terrific for working out that muscle tightness, those painful joints and, and muscle tissues that often happen uh, when you're a little bit older. And the foam roller is just a, a discipline that I would recommend doing a little bit every day. And Ed is doing the same. And uh, I put that in your tool, your fitness toolkit. If you do, not, do nothing else, do that to rub out those sore muscles in the legs and the back. So if you want to be spotlighted in a future episode of the Senior Golfer Advisor podcast, all you got to do is go to the website, theseniorgolferadvisor.com, click on the Contact Dean tab. There you'll see an, a section there where you just give your name and tell me your story. And in that tell me your story, some of the same things we profiled here today on Ed, some background about your game, where you live, what you do. Uh, if you're retired, which many of us are, let us know that. Some of the things you're working on could be any aspect of your game, whether it's fitness, the swing technique, the mental side, uh, volunteer work, traveling, it, it, anything could be interesting that we share and learn from each other and hopefully benefit from each other. So that's it for this week's show. Thank you for listening and remember to always keep swinging. <laughs>